going to go to the book of um, uh, 1 Samuel, if you're taking notes, and uh, do my real best to get you out of here today on time. You know, it's so much fun when you're talking to people, but sometimes you just got to get on out of here. And, you know, some preachers don't understand that. They just, they, and I understand, I, 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 I get it. I mean, I'm, I'm trying all the time, trying my best, uh, so we're going to see what we can do today. Today, repeat the topic with me, please. Say, living in covenant. The word covenant basically is a word that describes a contract. And my argument today is that you need to live in such a way that demonstrates that you are clear about your contract or covenant or relationship with God. And so part of the proof that you are living in covenant is that you live a committed life. So I'm really using the word covenant and committed interchangeably. Because I believe that if I'm committed to God, it's obvious. If I'm committed. So lift your hand with me, please. Say, I, I am, am committed. committed. Come on, say it again. Say, I, I am, am committed. committed. Commitment's crucial. It's vital to your survival long term. I want you, if you would please, to note with me uh, something we said last time that I think is just fundamentally important that we discussed last week, and that was God is committed to you. And we talked about that from, from Genesis chapter 17, where the Bible lays out for you the, the fact that God is truly committed to you, to you. He is committed to you. Come on, say committed, committed. To, me. to me. And the story in Genesis 17 is about Abraham who was asked by God to sign a covenant, a commitment letter. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, at 99, I want you to be circumcised. I want you to pause for a minute when you think about that. That's a tremendous request. Because if you don't know what that's about, all brothers should say, well, hallelujah. That's a serious decision. And so in Genesis 17, there's this, this statement where the Lord speaks to, to him and says, I want you to be circumcised, and it's going to be a, a sign of our covenant. And I, I just love the fact that the Bible said he was 99 years old when this was said to him. So here's a lesson for you. You're never too old to sign a covenant. Some of you are 35 and you already think you're done. And I, I, I want to say this carefully, and I don't mean any harm when I say it because I, I believe in retirement. I believe it has value. But there's a retirement mindset that you can develop that says, I'm going to get to a place where I have no more work value. I'll, I'll get to a place where I, I can't contribute. And that's not the way God's leading him. He wants him to think beyond his age. I'm 58 years old, and I am amazed at how tempted I am to think that it's over. I've been doing this job for 35 years, and there's a temptation to say, well, that's it. You've given them enough time. Go do something else. 
go sit out. And, and I'm not against the retirement. I'm not against retirement. I'm just making a point. I plan to do this for another 20 years. All in favor, say aye. aye. Now, see, if you're not in the proof, I ain't going to ask you. <laughs> because I don't, I don't have any reason at this point. And well, will that change? In ten, I mean, things change all the time. But I, there, there's, I, there, I, I, I work hard now making sure that I'm around people who are older than me by 20 years, and they help me. They help me see the world differently. And so I love the fact that at 17, and I'm sorry, 99, God's speaking to him about a covenant. And what he says to him is profound. He's basically saying to him, he changes his name. He promises him he's going to have children as the sand of the seashore. At 100, a year from now, you're going to have your first son. All that happens at 99. All these promises happen at 99. And he's been waiting since he was 75. It took God 75 years to get him to the right city. So he doesn't even start this journey until he's 75. And at 99, he says, okay, now you've waited 24 years. Next year, we're going to start your family. Some of you would say, God, you're going a little bit too slow here. <laughs> but what's interesting is God thinks no. Because here, here's what, what I think about AIDS that's really special. You're smarter than you've ever been. You now know not to do that anymore. You're not as tempted by things. You can be, you're wiser because you just get it. You're not, it's not even by faith now. You see it. When you're younger, it's by faith. But when you get older, you know it's by experience. That is not smart, or this is smart. So here you have this incredible moment where he says to him, okay, I want you to be circumcised, and, and I'm going to circumcise the, the men. He doesn't circumcise the women. The reason he does that is because he wants to establish something in the guy's mind. And this is not to diminish the value of women, a woman or anything. It's simply saying, I, I choose you to be the example. I choose you. The covenant is going to start with you. If, if you really want to affect the family, affect the men. And, and what he does with the man is he cuts him in a way he won't forget it with no anesthesia. This is not going to be painless. You will remember this. And then he says at 99 to a 99-year-old guy, once I cut you, he says, we're going to have a blood covenant together. And there's a lot of biblical, you know, we think about Christ and his death on the cross. There's a lot happening here. And the, the final piece, which is, by the way, a sermon I did. This is, I'm, I'm snipping out part of my men's sermon, um, which I'm going to send to all the men. Um, I'm going to make it available in about a week. You'll be able to see it online. And it's going to be for men only. So any ladies who look at it, your ears will burn off if you let know. <laughs> no, you're going to make sure you listen. Now I'll make sure I listen to it now. Make sure I hear it. Hear what he told those brothers. This is really a great sermon called Cut. And what, one of the things that I, I believe um, God wanted to do was he wanted to mark the man so that in his most intimate moments he would never forget. And in his several times a day he'd be reminded. You're in covenant with God. And it would be private and personal. And then was another step that's interesting is he did it where eight days after birth, the first man did it consciously. After him, it was done before the child had a decision. The child didn't get a vote. Daddy just said, all my family is going to be circumcised. All my family is going to be in covenant with God. All my, all, and it was, it was powerful. So, so what's really amazing to me is he wanted children not to have the burden of that choice. It was forced upon them. 
We serve God here. We live for God here. Eight days after birth, every male child was circumcised. He didn't get a voice. There's something about taking charge of your family at an early, early age and, and laying the groundwork. And I like the fact that he said, I'm starting with the guys. I want to get them stirred up. I want to make them clear. As a matter of fact, the young boy would say, I couldn't remember a time when I wasn't in covenant with God. I can't even tell you a day when I did not serve God, when I did not have a contract with the living God. It's an amazing question, amazing moment. So the question we answered last week is, what is God committed to? God was committed to expanding the life of, and the borders of Abraham's life. All that we talked about last week was his expansion through circumcision. He wanted to expand his relationship. He wanted to do it through the men. He wanted, and that doesn't diminish the women at all. It's just simply where God started. This question today we're going to deal with is a little bit different. There's a section called Saul Described. We're going to look at Saul, and Saul's going to be our example of a guy who was not committed. But if you would allow me to move that down just a little bit, I'm going to hold on to that section. Skip down to number two in your notes to the second question we're answering for today. The first question is, what is God committed to? Repeat with me, please. Say, expanding, expanding. the borders, borders of my life. That's what God wanted to do with Abraham, expand his life. New name, new relationship, new contract. Today, I ask the question, what are you committed to? Not what is God committed to, but what, is you, what are you committed to? The church of Smyrna is our example in Revelations chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. This is a church that God wanted to speak to, and he wanted them to have a clear awareness of what their commitment to God would require. And so this, this is that answer to the question, what does commitment look like? What will it require of me? You're asking me, what am I committed to? Well, if you commit to serving God, if you commit to following him, and you've got to be clear about this for a minute. If you're not a Christian, if you're not, if you're not a believer, then this doesn't apply to you. You can just listen in and enjoy the sermon. But this, in terms of it being something that's a mandate for you, but if you are a believer of Jesus, then, then I want you to understand this applies to you. And here's what he said to the church. To the, and this is the, one of the seven churches in Revelation that John writes to. And here's what he says to them. He says, Smyrna um, writes, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are really rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not. The word blasphemy means to speak evil of, to say something horrible to a person, to call them a name. It, it, it has a lot of implications, but it's this bad speech. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are really of the synagogue of Satan. They really are almost Satan worshipers. I mean, he really gives a strong summary of their life in a way that's insulting, literally. You're of the, they're of the synagogue of Satan, verse 10. Do not fear, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Now, I want you to pause for a minute and think about what he just said. He writes to the church of Smyrna and he says, okay, I want to give you a, a forewarning. Your commitment will cost you something, and I don't want you to be afraid of the price. It's going to cost you some suffering. 
but I don't want you to be afraid of those things you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. But in the middle of all that you're going through, I want you to be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. I was going to just use verse 10, the bottom half of the verse, where it says be faithful unto death because I wanted to challenge you to be committed. But when I read the verse, I thought it would be better to go back and say what was the context of that statement. So you'd understand the power of it. He's talking to the church of Smyrna, and he says, I want you to be faithful. I want you to be committed, but it will not be free. Let me give you an insight. If you ever choose to be a committed person, there is a price attached to it. Commitment does not come without pain. There are, there, if you, you may be committed to your children, but there is a price tag you pay to raise children. And it is, it is not always easy. It is not always fun. I can remember many, many days my kids would get to school and they'd get to the office and call me and say those famous words, I forgot something that I need first period. Could you please go home and get it? And then you go home and then the second child will call you. I what? Forgot something. Or here's another famous one. They would say things like, um, tomorrow I have this report due. <laughs> really? You mean like tomorrow, tomorrow? And I need an easel board. Like, really? So we got to get up, go down to Walmart or whatever store we can find open and find you. I finally just bought about 10 of them. <laughs> Kept them around the house. I said, I'm tired of getting up going to get these boards. And so there's, there's this price tag you pay at every level of commitment. If you want to work on a job, be in a career. And that's what I think some of us forget. What are you committed to? Whatever you commit to, there is a price tag. And that's what John tells the church of Smyrna. There is a price tag for your commitment, but I want you to be faithful. Serving Christ costs you something. That's what he tells them. And I think it's important to understand that was something that they had to face. So he said, please, if you've got an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit's saying to you today. Now, I want to show you this in living color. I want to show you a person who did not get this and did not do well at it. His name was Saul. Saul is an interesting guy because he paints a picture for us that we can see. Saul is um, the first king of Israel. Israel got to the place where they said, we want to be like all the other nations. We want a king. So they solicited Saul to become there. They prayed, and God said, okay, Saul will be your first king. He tried to talk them out of it, but they didn't like it. You know, we don't like just having a pastor over us. We want to have, you know, no, not just Samuel. We don't want those kind of guys. We want a king, king. He said, well, if you get a king, he's going to attack you. If you get a king, you're going to have problems with this, that, and the other. He's going to take your kids and make them servants. But they said, we don't care. We still want a king. So they get Saul. But what's interesting is out of all of the, and you might like this because of this political environment, Saul had issues. God chose somebody for them who was the best candidate who had a lot of strengths, obviously because he was chosen by God. He allowed Saul to be their first king, but Saul had issues. Now, what's interesting is what the Bible says in describing Saul. The first thing I want to look at, and I, I'm going to invert the order a little bit. The first thing is he was handsome. Not only was he handsome, he was one of the most handsome guys. That's on, on number two in your list there on, on describing Saul. First Samuel 9 and 2, 
says he was one of the most handsome guys in, in, in the whole area. I mean, head and shoulders above everybody. When the women saw Saul, they said, he is fine. <laughs> Secondly, even though he was a handsome guy, there was something behind the handsomeness. Ladies, say that with me, please. No, guys. Ladies, say there is something behind the handsomeness. See, that's what you've got to discover. You've got to stop looking at the handsomeness and you got to look behind the handsomeness. Normally, it's guys who get caught up in this, but this is a guy who just, I mean, he's just, I mean, the, when the Bible says you fine, you fine. <laughs> I mean, God had them write that down. Write that down. <laughs> that boy, good looking, man. That's God's opinion. Now, what's amazing, even though he was handsome, he was a guy who did not like his responsibilities. On the day he was to be inaugurated, the, and this is under number one in your notes about, about him, he hid in the luggage. He rebelled. He resisted his responsibilities. The Bible describes him in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 22, as hiding in the luggage on the day he was going to be inaugurated as king. So you're going to be over millions of people. You're going to have all these incredible powers. You're going to have all these things. You're going to have an army. You're going to get a new house. You're going to get a new gig, a great salary, millionaire, whatever. You're going to have all this, and you're hiding in the luggage on Inauguration Day. They're looking for you. Where is the king? Hiding. Here's a guy who resisted his responsibilities. As a man, I had to really deal with that. As a leader, I have to deal with that in my own heart. Take the stage, Ricky Temple. If you're leading, lead. If you're leading, lead. He resisted that, even though he was handsome. Catch that. Looks don't tell you the whole story. Volume and tone don't tell you the whole story. That's why some of you, when you, when you get, when you cross the bridge with a person, you're disappointed because they're not what they look like. And that's my challenge in my personal life, be what you look like. I'm working on being what I say I am. Well, Saul struggled with that. Now, there are three signs of what I call an uncommitted life. Saul is a picture of an uncommitted person. He just never quite got it right. Now, is that because God made a bad choice? No. He had the potential to get it right, but he chose not to. That's important. You see it all the time. Parents see it in their kids. Employers see it in employees. They see the potential to be an incredible employer, employee, but they, they just can't bring themselves to cross that bridge. And here's what's true. There's something about notoriety that brings that out of you. Notoriety has a way of bringing to the surface the real you. How do I know that's true? Because Oprah Winfrey said it. <laughs> she did. She, she said, money, money brings out the real you. So if you was a little fool with a little bit of money, you're going to be a big fool with a lot of money. That's basically what she said. It just amplifies, <laughs> amplifies the essence of who you are. Study what's happened to lottery winners. Just study it. Just Google it and look at it. It will tell you amazing stories. People that did some of the dumbest things you'd ever want. They took their money and bought gold plates. Gold plates and forks. Why did you spend a million dollars on gold plates? Because you're crazy. You got $100 million you never had before, and the crazy in you, and I mean that in love, I don't mean that to be sarcastic or anything, 
All of us have an element of crazy. I used to always say to people, I have lived in the land of fools, had a full-time house there, and a car. But I one day packed up and moved from the land of fools. Anybody lived in that land before? Oh, come on, say, you know what I'm talking Everybody plays the fool. Wait, 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 wait. Watch this, watch this, watch this. All these church people know exactly what I'm saying right now. Everybody plays the fool. Sometimes, no exceptions to the rule. I ain't lying, right? <laughs> I ain't lying, something like that. But you know I'm telling the truth. There's that whole thing where you know you have been unwise. You made foolish choices. And so Saul's this guy who just does not get it. And there are three signs. I've got to run through this now. Three signs of an uncommitted, out-of-covenant life. First Samuel 15, verse 10. The first thing I want you to notice is when a person turns from following, that's the first sign. Now, God called him anointed and put him in charge, but now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, and here's what he says. I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Number one, he's not following. If somebody were to describe you on the job, outside of this environment, would they say you are a follower of Christ? Would that be the way they would describe you? Or would they say, no, you're not? There's no indication that there's any difference in you. You're such a black belt at cussing, there's no way they would ever assume. Now, I used to be a brown belt, but I'm trying to tell you, <laughs> some people, <laughs> you, are, you are a black belt third-degree black belt, some of you. And, and what's really amazing is you can't, in church, you, you have to really concentrate not to cuss. You have to go, how blank, blank, no, 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 no. Are you? You have to, because outside of here, you just blank, blank, blank. Hey, man, what's doing blank, blank? Hey, how's my blank doing? Blank, blank. Every word is a blank, blank. And your kids are just starting already. Hey, blank. Everybody is cussing. How do I know that? In my family, they cussed. My mama didn't, but the rest of them, well, oh, yes, they cussed each other right in front of me. And I was a little kid taking it in. Yeah, that's, that's, what, that's what you call them when you're mad. That's what you call them. And for a while, I used to say words because I thought that was, you know, what I should do. At, on, you know, in school, we say words, and you get mad, you say a word. I had a, I had a Christian guy. He told me he's a businessman. He said, it's the temple. I'm trying to do God say it. I'm doing the best I can. But, you know, sometimes... You have to cuss these people. That's what he told me. He said, you got to cuss them. He said, and I, they don't do what I say. He's over a whole bunch of comp, uh, departments. He said, I just cuss them. They get right in line, right in line. You're laughing because you know about this, don't you? Uh-huh. So, you, so outside of this environment, would people listen to you talk, communicate? Would they listen to your music? Listen to what you do, watching what you do on the Internet. Would they say you are a follower of Christ? Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, you do what you want. But I just want you to ask yourself the question, are you a follower? This is the opinion that God had of Saul. He's no longer following me. Second sign that you're uncommitted is when you're not honest about your performance. You're not honest about what you're doing. 
God told him, and this is hard to hear, so just buckle up and hold on. Okay, this is the tough part. God has, uh, there's a lot about God you learn in, in the Bible when you read the whole thing and you read from Genesis to Revelation. One is, he's not against all wars. I know, it may bother you, but hold on. Uh, because he, wars aren't always determined by you. Sometimes people bomb you. Sometimes people pick a fight. And, and some of you that are, are nonviolent, I am too, but uh, everybody that I deal with is not nonviolent. That's why I have security here. I have it for people who are not nonviolent. So I want to be able to fellowship with them if they need fellowship. That's how I'm putting it to be nice. You, you, you see, I'm responsible when you come in here. I want to do my best to make sure you're safe. So I have all kinds of little things. But that's not for me to talk about here. I just, I'm just serious about that. And I understand that your enemy, I love what, what Colin Powell says, your enemy gets a vote. People that don't like you, don't like churches, don't like pastors, um, the horrible thing that happened in Charleston made everybody sit up straight and say, wow, there are people who really don't agree with us and who make it up in their mind that's what I should do. I just want to make that hard for you. I don't want that to happen. So having said that, there is, there is this incredible moment where God Israel was leaving Egypt, and the Amalekites attacked them. And so if you read the Bible, you realize that God will get you. This is a get you moment. The nation of Amalekites had attacked Israel, and he says, okay, so now we're, gonna, we're going to wipe them out. So, you know, that's hard to hear, but just don't mess with God because he does have that dynamic to him. There's a, there's, a price, there's a price tag that a lot of us don't understand because that's not our responsibility, but soldiers get it. People, you need an army, you need weapons. You do, if you don't have those things, you will be ruled by somebody. Liberty is not free. Come on, say amen if you're hearing me. Liberty is not free. How many military people, post-military, our military in the building? Raise your hand. Where are you? Military people. Stand up on your feet. Every single one of you. Every single one who served in, been a part of. Give them all a big hand. Come on. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. Thank you. You paid a price so that I could do this today and be secure. And I think it's important for me to appreciate that. And I, and I, I value it. So anyway, here's a moment where the Amalekites are about to get into a fight. And here's what God said. I want you to destroy everything. Don't save anything. Don't, bring any, don't, don't save anything. Well, watch what happens now. Watch verse 12 of 1 Samuel 15. When Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. And as he had, has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal, then Samuel went to Saul and said to him, Blessing, this is what Saul said to Samuel, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed, what did he say? I have performed the commandment of the Lord which means I wiped out everybody. I didn't bring back anything, burn it all. I don't want anything left of the Amalekites. That's what he told them to do. Now, those are the instructions. Watch what happens. Watch this guy who, who is not being honest about his performance. And this is important. He was not telling the truth. And this is what I believe is so amazing. He's not telling the truth, and he's not being honest about his intent. Verse 14, under number three in your notes, notice he wasn't honest about his performance, and he's not honest about his intent. Samuel says to him, 
then what is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? In other words, if you can destroy everything, what are the sheep doing here? What are the oxen doing here? And Saul said, verse 15, they have brought them from the Amalekites, not me. For the people spared the best of the sheep, not me. And, but they did it for a good purpose. They want to sacrifice them to the Lord. So, so notice he's got this great religious answer for disobedience. So here's what I want you to think about for a second. Just back up for a minute. Just, just look at me for a second. Think about this. What's the honest truth about you following Jesus? Are you really following? What's the honest truth about your performance? What's the honest truth about that? Now, this is going to be tough, so buckle up and hang with me for a second. If we're really honest, we don't always do everything we say. If I just look at the way you perform, here, here's, a, here's, a, here's an observation. You've, you've been in, you've, <laughs> you can come here and enjoy everything that we do and, and feel no obligation whatsoever to participate in any way. The average person comes to church once a month. The average church is a part of the, and you got to be careful now. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, just tune me out and don't pay me attention. But if you're a follower of Jesus, just think about this for a minute. When it comes to your willingness to serve, help, it's kind of living in a house and never picking up anything. No support financially at all. Just don't, just buckle up. If you're not a follower of Jesus, ignore me. But ask yourself the question, what does that say the truth about my performance? I had this exchange with my doctor that was really fascinating. And in this exchange, you know, I, I'm, I'm healthy. And I'm, but I'm in this program, and we study all my stuff, all my blood work, and it's, it's this wonderful program. And it's, uh, it's, it's put in on an ongoing basis. And so he, on this form, they had a question. And in this question, it said, it, and, and I, I have, um, my cholesterol numbers are good, you know, um, but if I'm not careful, they'll get to the wrong place or above 200. So I have to keep them 150, 60, you know, up in that number. If you know what those are, you, you hope you know your numbers. And so... Uh, 180 if I'm not careful, but, but I, I, I like being off medicine. So I'll exercise, and historically if I exercise, I'll be on a very, very low dose of, of some kind of cholesterol medicine. And, and, but on the sheet, I, you know, basically even, I've even gotten off of it before for, for an extended period of time, but, but my numbers creep back up. So he said, just, just stay on a low dose. Just don't, just, just, just don't worry about it. Just, you'll be okay. Well, on the sheet it said, Something about cholesterol challenges. Do you have a cholesterol thing? And I put no. Because to me, I'd like overcome that. And my doctor, in this wonderful discussion, he looked at the paper and he says, that's not true. How dare you question the man of God? <laughs> By faith, I'm fine. You know what I mean? I, I had rationalized in my brain that that was the case. And it wasn't the case. And he called me on it, and we had this wonderful, fun discussion. And he says, I, I know, I know, I know, I know. You're doing great. We're chasing numbers. You're doing But here's the truth. On this question, the answer is yes. Pause. What's the truth in your life? I don't, I don't care how you feel about it by faith and you're doing good. That's not the question. The question is, are you a person who is a follower of Jesus, but when it comes to you serving in any capacity to help people, you can't name anything you do other than go to church. 
You can't name anything else. You do. I didn't say you had to serve all year. You didn't, I mean a month. 30 days you volunteered to do something for someone, not even just in church, just anywhere. And I want you to understand that's inconsistent with your faith. Secondly, when it comes to your resources, your money. Now, just buckle up again. Love me. Because this is where people really get you wrong. What does this say that you have never performed well in this area? No matter how much you made, when you made it, however you made it, you don't, you don't, there's, there's no record. And I get this whole idea you don't want anybody to, you don't write anything down. But I, when I get to heaven, I want everything recorded that I did. And I think there's value in that. You record everything else. I want to be able to say, based on my records, it says that God is involved in my money. I don't just pray for God to bless me when I'm in need, but it is part of my life. He's a part of my life. Tithing links you to God, links your money to God. And you can have me again. You're not a follower of Jesus. Okay, you don't have to worry about this. If this is something that you don't want to do, I get it. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel bad. I'm just talking to people who, who care. I'm a follower of Jesus, and so I, when, I, when I pray... And I give my tithe, which is a tenth. Tithe means tenth. I honor God, and I believe that he should be first because he's the first one I call when I have a financial problem. And so if I had a 10% cut on my job, what would I do? I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. I understand that there's something powerful. Malachi chapter 3 says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house. The reason, if you ever see a church that's struggling and they can't do some of the stuff that we do, it's because... A bunch of people that live in that house do not consistently perform. They're inconsistent. Now, this is where you get really quiet. Oh, I shouldn't have came. I know this is terrible. Oh, God, I hate this part of the message. This guy was nice. I liked him so much. But now, oh, get over this point. Please, fast, fast. But, if, but, but would, you, would you feel that way if we were talking about living in your house and 10 people moved in and only... One of them worked. The average church, 10% of the people who come give. Think about what that means. That's why they sell chicken and they're struggling. But it's when you understand the power of tithing and you understand the power of giving and you invite God in. Well, my money's a mess. Well, that's why you need to start somewhere. You need to start saying the truth is, like I had to look on the paper and say the truth is you've got a problem with this. And I'm going to talk about this next week. I'm going to talk about what is your family committed to. And here's one thing I think you're not committed to. You ready? I'm going to give you a little hint. You're not committed to prospering. As a family, you don't have a financial strategy or a plan. You don't have a plan that God's involved in. You don't have a plan. You're just kind of coasting, going to work every day and, and paying what you can and robbing Peter to pay Paul. I don't want to live like that. Because I want to make a difference in the world. And I can't make a difference in the world if I'm all scatterbrained and if I'm ever here and there. Some of you, your life is just out of control. You have no specific direction. And you can't be happy living this way. Say amen if you hear me. Come on, amen. You get the point? Now, let me, I want to close with this. Watch God's response to this uncommitted person. God's response to him. First thing he says, he, he reminds Saul of where he came from. Now, I want to read just the bold print, okay? 1 Samuel 15, I gave you verse 16 through 25, but look at just the bold print with me. Here's what God said. When you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? I made you a leader. 
Saul, I don't understand why you're not performing what I told you, why you're not doing what I said. I gave you this opportunity. This is a gift from God. You may not like your house, but you got a house. You may not like your job, but you got a job. You may not like what you have, but you, you're breathing. You, you, you need to pause and realize, you know, you need to remember where you came from. Secondly, he confronts his greed. Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Why did you go take all the good stuff? You, killed, you, you, you wiped out all the bad stuff that the Amalekites had, but everything that was good, you took it. Thirdly, I, I love this. He says, I'm not going to let you off the hook. This is how he responds to him. Sometimes when you deal with people and, and, and they, you know, do something that's not quite right, you, you let them off the hook. But listen to what he says to him. Samuel said in verse 20, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Saul said, rather, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And I have gone, Saul says, on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And I have brought back Agag, king of, Am of Amalek. And I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, they took the plunder and the sheep. They did all this. But they did it for a good cause, I told you. The sacrifice to the Lord God. Now, I want you to hear this for a second. He's still not listening. When my doctor held up the paper and says, no. I want you to pause for a minute and, and hear this. You're still not listening. I mean, there's this moment when he looks at Saul and says, I'm not letting you off the hook. I'm not going to try to make you feel good. I'm not going to try to make you feel better. I'm not going to rephrase this. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to let you twist what I told you to do and not to do. I was clear. I was clear about me being first. I was clear. I was clear. I, was, I gave specific financial instructions. And the only way you're going to prosper is if you honor God's wishes. And they, he didn't. And, and this is just the last thing I want to say today. And this is amazing. Watch this. He showed Saul what really matters. Saul, you keep saying you did this because you want to bring it to the church and offer a sacrifice. Has the Lord, verse 22, as great a delight in, in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obedience? What do you think is more important? These sheep you want to offer are doing what I told you to do. What's more important? Being a deacon, an elder in a church, being a pastor, this is, this is why I would never do this job. Because you need me. Because I have some. No, no, I need to be obedient. That's the most important thing. Obedience, obedience is the most important thing on the planet. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And then he says something that's really scary. Verse 5, he warned Saul. He said, I'm sorry, verse 23. He warned Saul and said, rebellion, if you want to know how I describe it, this is God's sin, is as witchcraft. It is a spiritual element. And he wants to paint this horrible picture in his mind. You want to know, Saul, how I view your your rebellion or stubbornness. Now, some of you might not want to call yourself rebellion, but you do push back. All I got to do is name areas. I don't have to name them all. But there's a pushback that's real strong. 
The Bible says one thing, you disagree and you do what you want. Really? I've had some of the most intense conversations with leaders who just feel. One told me, he said, you know what? I'm sick of my wife. I'm tired of her. And I'm just going, I, I believe God has saved my ministry. God has saved me. And I've seen, I've seen this. I've, I've seen a number of guys do this. And I, and I sat there and I think to myself, be careful where you are. You, you can get to a place where you're stubborn. You can get to a place where you will not respond. You're saying things to your spouse you shouldn't say. You're doing things you shouldn't do. And you know. And that has a spiritual dynamic to it that he says is like witchcraft. I want to paint an image in your mind. I want you to understand how I view this. And then he goes on and says something that's pretty strong in verse 23. He's 23. He says, because you rejected the word of the Lord, I've rejected you from being king. You don't get to lead anymore, sir. Now, after all of that, here comes this false apology. Verse 24. All right, Samuel, I've sinned. I've transgressed. Uh, and the commandment of the word Lord and your words because I feared the people. See, it's still somebody else's fault. How long will it always be somebody else's fault? Could it be that you're not really committed? Could the problem really be you are not as committed as you thought you were? And here's the truth in my life. There were seasons when I thought I was really committed. But it's not until you engage people that you find out. I'll give you an example, too, and I'm done for the day. You can think you are a neat person until you live with one. Your shoes everywhere, your clothes everywhere. When you walk in the house, you just walk in and just drop it all. There you go. There you go. Just <laughs> let her fall down. Just let, just let her rip. Just take the shoes. That's it. That's all good. Praise God. I'm glad to be home. I'm glad to be in the house. So glad to be here today. Thank you, Jesus. And you think I look messy right now. But that is normal. And you know when it embarrasses you? When somebody visits and then you start telling lies. Oh, Lord, I can't believe these children left this stuff down here like this. I'm telling you, I just can't believe I try my best. That's just me by myself. And they just put their shoes everywhere. You know what they used to say? Say, shame. say come on, say, tell the truth. And shame the devil. <laughs> I thought I was a giver. I thought I was a faithful supporter of the word of God and tithing and honor until I married Diane. I was about an 80 percenter, 75 on some good day. They don't need my money. I need, they got things to do, praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> my $20. I need my $20. <laughs> Diane. There was no discussion. He is first. And I'm going to tell you, <laughs> that's it. Law of the jungle. And I met somebody. I'm the Bible college student. I'm the preacher guy on the way. But God wanted me to meet somebody who challenged me. You need friends who tell you, stop doing all that. They'd ask you, 
How much debt you got? They'll ask you stuff like that. You're good friends. Mm -hmm. Some of you want to let people like that in your life. But see, that's why God can't prosper you, because you lock those kind of people out. They're in your business. I told the men earlier, I said, you ain't got no business if you don't tell anybody because you ain't got no money to manage. That's a sign you're broke. When you got money, you need accountants and lawyers and people to help you manage your money. So and you need some advisors or somebody in your 401k. You need somebody to help you because you, you know, so some of you say, well, I must be really broke. Yep. When you, when you get to the point that you have to open up your life and somebody challenges you, like my wife challenged me, and didn't have to say much, I just got around it. When you get around neat people, they make you pick up your clothes. When you get around people who study, you want to read. When you get around readers, you want to bring a book with you, even if you don't read much. You just turn the pages. You want to look like you're fitting in. <laughs> Come on, say amen. Come on, say amen, church. You hear what I'm saying? Come on, praise God. So, Father, I speak the word over your people today. Thank you for this opportunity to be with them. I pray that what I've said has helped them and lifted them to a new place. We leave this place inspired and motivated to look at our performance and be honest before you. The truth is we are not always honest about our struggles, the things that we fight. What is the truth? What am I committed to? God is committed to me, but am I committed to him? Am I committed to my family? Am I committed to the truth? Am I committed to myself? The things I'm doing, Lord, am I hindering my own advancement because I'm not honoring you? I'm not taking this seriously. So, Father, lift up both hands. Would you? All hands lifted. Father, we speak the word of God over your people's lives today, both here and at home. May the Holy Spirit bring healing to them wherever they are listening or watching. May this be a time when they analyze their commitment. And it's all about me being committed to put the right pieces in the right places because success comes in pieces. But I must put the right piece in the right place and I've got to be honest that I have not been doing that. But now that I know what the right piece is, I need to put it where it goes. And so, Father, I honor you and I thank you and I praise you for this time. In Jesus' name. Now, with every hand down, every head bowed. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, you never gave Jesus your life with every head bowed. If you would say, Pastor, after hearing this message, I realize I've not been a follower of Jesus, but I need to be. If that's you, you've not been a follower. The people who work with you, who live around you, would not say you are a follower of Jesus. That would not be their testimony. They would know who you follow or what you believe because of what they've seen. So now, if you know that's you and you want to become a follower, you want to really follow Jesus. You want to follow the word of the Lord. I want you with every head bowed and every eye closed for your privacy to raise your hand. If there's, a, if there's anybody that says pray for me, I see you. Anybody else says pray for me, I see you. Anybody else? I'm just going to pray for you. I saw him just praying for people. Hey, it can't hurt you to get prayer, right? I see you as well. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. Pray for me. See, this is it right here. See, this is what I mean. Why can't you follow? Why, why don't you say, yeah, that's me? Why can't you sign? Like my doctor just raised, yeah, I see you. Just be truthful. Be truthful. Let's just take a minute and be truthful. Thank you. Put your hand up, put it right back down. It'll be fine. Anybody else? Let's be truthful for a minute with yourself. There's something about breaking this chain of self-deception. Being a religious person going to church doesn't change your life. I'm not following Jesus. Hands, heads down. Raise your hand. I see you. Anybody else? I'm not really following. I see you as well. I see you as well. Anybody else? I see you as well. 
Now all hands lifted. Father, we lift our hands. We acknowledge that we haven't been following you today. We want to surrender our lives to you. We want Jesus to be the Lord of our lives. You died on the cross to free us, and so we invite you to heal us and to free us. Bless us and guide us. In Jesus' name, thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. Now look this